Hey everybody at all of our live churches and network churches, I wanted to tell you about a new series that starts two weeks from today. It's called The End. Everybody's asking about, talking about, and wondering about the end of the world, what's going to happen. Well, for three weeks, we're going to study what the Bible says about end times. The first week, we're going to look at the return of Jesus and the rapture. What does the Bible say actually takes place? Week two, we're going to look at the new heaven, what takes place in heaven after the return of Jesus. Week three, we're going to look at snapshots from the book of Revelation. I'll pick some of the most important verses from Revelation and show you what they mean. That starts in two weeks. It's called The End. Today we're starting a brand new two-week series. It's called Love and Hate. What does God love and what does God hate? I'm honored to introduce to you one of our most valuable team members. Sam Roberts has been with me on staff for 15 of the 16 years. He's a great dad. He's a great husband. He's a great basketball player and he's a great preacher. Would you please give a warm welcome to Pastor Sam Roberts. Well, I want to welcome you at all of our LifeChurch.tv locations, those of you at our network churches, and of course, all of you across the globe at Church Online. It is always great to have you with us. As Pastor Craig said, we are beginning a series entitled Love and Hate, but before we get there, I do want to say it is truly an honor um, every time I have the opportunity to be able to share God's Word with you and fill in for our truly amazing and gifted leader, uh, our senior pastor, Craig. Uh, He is on a well-deserved break this weekend, and looking forward to him being back in two weeks with uh, the series The End. It's going to be some really, really good stuff. You want to mark that on your calendars and be ready to come and hear what God has put on his heart in regards to that. But today, we are starting a series, Love and Hate, right? Uh, What are the things that God loves and what are the things that maybe God hates a little bit? Because in our desiring relationship with someone, don't we want to do and understand a little bit of what they love and also what they hate so that we can do more of what they love and less of what they hate? And we're going to talk about the hate side next week, but this week, we're talking about love, right? And before we get going, I do want to kind of just hear, because we all love and hate different things, right? And so by show of hands, how many of you would say, you know what? I hate country music. I don't even understand. It's like, you took my dog, you took my wife, my wife's gone. It's like horrible. I don't understand it. Uh, Others of you say, no, no, I love it. Two-step the night away. All my exes do live in Texas. George Strait, Katie Chesney, Blake Shelton. Some of you say amen to that. Uh, Loving country music. Uh, Others of you say, you know what? I hate sushi. I don't understand it. Somebody needs to put a flame on that stuff. You don't eat things that are raw. I don't understand that. How many of you say, oh, no, no, no. Back it on up. Go to the sushi bar. It's good stuff. Uh, That's right. A lot of sushi lovers in the house. How many of you say, you know what? I hate Pinterest. I don't even understand why people would just want to take pictures of random things, throw them up there. I don't get it. Others of you say, no, no. Because of that, I am now Martha Stewart and Oprah Winfrey and every other good thing all wrapped into one because I am get all my creativity from Pinterest. See, there are things that we love and there are things that we hate, right? And so, so that is true with God too. What is it that God loves? What is it that God hates. And that's what we're going to be talking about. A little bit of something about me and something I love. I do love my family. Um, 
I have a beautiful wife, Jamie. We have four children, Grace, who's 11, Hannah, 9, Benjamin, who's 7, and then little Nathan, who is 5, who the other day came up to the back porch sporting cargo khaki pants, mud boots, a T-shirt, black leather belt outside of the T-shirt, wide-brimmed hat, sunglasses, scabbard for his plastic sword in his left hand, and a muddy stick in his right, which could demolish all things and foes that come against him, right? And he comes up, and he looks at me, and he just gets like this, and he says, Daddy, I've been behind the barbed wire fence. (laughs) Now, at our house, that's not a good thing, because our five acres backs up to hundreds and hundreds of acres of nothing, which is on the other side of the barbed wire fence, so they're not supposed to go back there. So I look at him, and I say, buddy, you ain't supposed to go behind the barbed wire fence. And he says, no, but I have been hunting. <laughs> I said, well, what have you been hunting? I've been hunting rabbits and squirrels. And opossums, because that's what he calls them. And I've been hunting walnuts. I said, you got to watch out for them walnuts. They can be wild ones, buddy. You better be careful there. Yes. And he says, Daddy, I killed a grasshopper, and it was this big. At this point, Benjamin, his seven-year-old brother who'd been listening, decides to call a foul ball, and he says, Nathan, that's not a true story. Nathan says, no, but it's a story, right? I love that little guy. Now, I hate it when he goes behind the barbed wire fence and disobeys, but I do love him. I kind of love him. And then there's some things he does that I don't like so much, right? Well, that's what we're talking about, love today. What is it that God loves? Now, there's something very foundational about God that we have to understand when we go to talk about God um, and what he loves. The first thing, if you're taking notes, is this. It's kind of a foundational truth that we have to understand. And that is that love is not what God does, but love is who God is. Love is not what God does, but love is who God is. Is. We see in the book 1 John chapter 4, where the scripture says that whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You see, love is not what God does, but it is who God is, right? It's the very essence and nature of God. Love is who God is, but that poses a problem in our head sometimes because it's this, is that if God is love, then why don't I always feel God's love? I may not be close, I may not feel it. Well, I think there's a lot of different reasons why we may not feel God's love. We're going to talk about three of those today, um, about why it is that we may not feel God's love. So if you're taking notes, let's jump right in. Why is it we may not feel God's love even though God is love? First thing, if you're taking notes, is simply this, is that maybe we're not seeking God like we should, right? Maybe it's that we're not just simply seeking God. And, and uh, about a couple of months ago, uh, Pastor Craig did an amazing series on marriage. And he talked about five different things that if we will do these things, then you know what? It will give us a, a marriage that is going to be strong and stand the test of time. What, are, what was the first of those things? The first thing that we were to do was to seek God, Right? Why? Because there's a beautiful truth found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where the Bible says that, you know what? Seek first 
his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. All of these things. Well, what are all of these things? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's that you have a, a good, strong, healthy marriage. Maybe all of these things is that you have peace and understanding about what it is that God wants you to do that day. Maybe it's that you have understanding and peace and wisdom about what it is that God has chosen for you as a career path. Maybe it's that, that all of these things that he's adding to you is a, is a feeling and an understanding of his love. See, we have to seek first his kingdom and then all these things will be added to us. Maybe we're not feeling God's love because perhaps we're not seeking God like we should. It would be a little like this. If you came to me and said, Sam, I'm, I'm going to marry this girl, but we're not going to go on a date. I got it like that. It's just going to be right. We're going to happen. It's going to be married. I would tell you, you're crazy, right? Why? Because you need to seek her. Or ladies, you need to seek him, right? You got to begin to understand what it is that he or she loves and what it is that they hate. And right, you do more of what they love and less of what they hate. It's not that hard. But that's kind of how we understand that in our relationships. But we don't always do this with God. We will put him on the shelf and think that, oh, we're just supposed to feel his love all the time. But truthfully, we need to seek him him. And as we seek first the kingdom of God, all of these things shall be added unto you. Why is it sometimes that we don't feel God's love? Well, the first thing is that, you know what? Maybe we're not seeking God. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is this, is that we don't love like God loves, right? We don't love like God loves. We see this principle in 1 John chapter 4 played out. It, it says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now that's setting the bar pretty high, is it not? Because I wouldn't send any of my kids to die for you, and you probably wouldn't send your kids to die for me. God set a standard way up about love. And loving us despite anything we're doing for him. We don't always love like God loves. There's this statement I heard uh, Pastor Craig say several months ago, and I think it's very applicable to what we're talking about today. So in your notes there, we put it in there. I want you to write this down. It's that if we're going to live like Jesus lived, then we're going to have to love like Jesus loved. I like that. If we're going to live like Jesus lived, then we're going to have to love like Jesus loved. The problem is that we just don't naturally do this, right? We have many different things that pull us away, or we very easily can become frustrated with people and start to want to kill them, and just go, I can't believe this, and we just get upset because we don't love like God loves. Let me give you an example. I can get easily frustrated with people when I go to Walmart. I don't even need to go any further, do I? Right? I go to Walmart when I get all my items and I go to check out. I have the spiritual gift of checking and getting into the slowest line, no matter what. There could be a line over to my left that is much longer. You get in that line, you would beat me through, and I'm standing there. Why? Because most of the time I end up behind the lady who pulls out the checkbook. Now, I would like to say... Writing a check at a grocery store went out somewhere a long time of cassette tapes. 
And I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe she's pulled out a checkbook. This is crazy. And of course, you know, the lady who does that for me usually has a purse, which I think would have to be checked at the airport because it's too big to be a carry-on, right? And she pulls this thing out and sits it up on the counter and opens her up and she's looking down in there and it's like, I know there's a pen down in here somewhere as if it just appeared and she just thought, oh my gosh, now I gotta, I gotta pay for all this stuff. So she's like trying to look for things and she's throwing a half a bag of Cheez-Its out and a, a fly swatter and a, and, a, and, a, and a half drunk bottle of water. I'm like, what are you, Mary Poppins? How much stuff you got? in this thing, right? It's crazy. She's pulling stuff out, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'll just pay for your groceries. Just forget it. Just go. You know, whatever you got to do. And, and it's never a good thing when you go over to the self-checkout area, where all the people are, we're like people who don't know the codes for all the fruits and vegetables, and then you scan something, and you're supposed to place it in the bagging area, where my items seem to mysteriously disappear according to the computer. It thinks I haven't put it there, and I know I have, and I'm like, what's going on? And goodness, you can't get any help from the guy who's supposed to be helping you, because he's over on aisle 14 helping Mary Poppins processor check, <laughs> Right? And I'm just going crazy in there. I'm like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And I get so frustrated with people. And many times there's so many different things that we can find that we will get frustrated and easy to anger, right? But that's not God. Because love is not what God does. Love is who God is. And we don't love like God loves. And it makes it difficult for us sometimes to feel God's love because we don't understand how someone could love like that, right? Now, the third thing, if you're taking notes, is what I believe is probably the broadest answer and many times hits us the most where we live in regards to why we may not feel God's love. And I believe it's this, is because that we feel unworthy, right? We don't feel worthy of his love. We feel unworthy, Right? Well, in Romans chapter 5, the Bible tells us this that but God demonstrates his love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Okay? So, in other words, you didn't have to try to become worthy for God to send Christ for you. It's almost as if we're kind of over here and we get into our heads that. We're doing okay. That we're better than so-and-so, and I didn't, did you see what they did? And I'm not like that. And so we begin this comparison thing, and we, we place ourselves mentally where we're good. Me and God are good, right? Then what happens? Well, you get out of bed. That's what happens. And your day begins, and you say something you shouldn't say. And then all of a sudden you do something you knew you really shouldn't have done, and you hurt someone that, you, man, you shouldn't have said that, and I can't believe I did that. And, oh, I meant to be in God's Word. I just eh, I had other things that were way more important. I, I had to do something else. And I should have done this. I should have done it. Next thing you know, we look back, right, and we've created this gap, this distance in our heads of how far we are from God, and we don't feel all of a sudden. Now we're over here. And we don't feel like, oh, how could God love me? I don't feel worthy, right? And so in our natural state, our, our thought is let's climb and claw our way back over here to some worthiness, right? The problem is we can't do that, and God knew that. So in Romans 5, that's why the Bible says, hey, God demonstrated his love for you in this, that while you were still over here, unworthy, while you were still over here, he said, you know what? They can't make this difference up. I know that. So I'm sending Jesus 
anyway. And I'm going to demonstrate my love for them, not because I'm I'm not going to wait until they're worthy, because what? We're not going to get there. We can't get there. We don't, we don't go that way. That's not how we think, right? And so God says, I know this. I'm going to send it. I'm going to demonstrate my love in this. I'm sending Jesus so that, you know what? They can have new life and be transformed and be different. But many times what happens? We, we don't feel worthy of God's love. I love this is played out beautifully in the book of Genesis chapter 3. It's the story of Adam and Eve, right? And there's this creation account, and they're in the Garden of Eden, and everything's going great. God says, listen, don't eat from the fruit of this tree, okay? Anything else, you're good. Just don't don't do this. Well, they do that. Sin enters. What do they do? They, They take a bite out of the apple. Sin enters. Their eyes are open, and they realize they are naked, right? And they feel, as it says, the Bible says, Adam feels ashamed. They had been in constant relationship with God. All of a sudden, that's broken. Why? Because they, they, they've distanced themselves, right? They're over here. And so they hear God walking in the garden. What does Adam do? I'm going to hide behind this bush. I'm going to get down here. Why? Because I feel ashamed. Because I'm naked, right? Well, that's what we do. Whether you're at church online, whether you're one of our locations, that's what we do. We say, if people only knew what I thought, if people only knew how I felt about this situation, if people realized that, you know what, I'm not this great, I put on this facade of being this great Christian, but man, I don't even like going to pray, and it's hard for me to engage, and I don't really feel God's love a lot, and and man, it's just hard, and I don't read my Bible, I don't do this, and if people knew that, we start to feel ashamed, so we put this distance, right, and we hide, that's what we do, but check it out, in Genesis 3, God says, Adam, where are you? God's saying that today, hey, Mary, where are you? Rhonda, where are you? Mark, where are you? John, where are you? Right? Where are we? We're over here. Uh, I'm hiding. Why? God says, why? Uh, because I'm not good enough. I don't, I don't feel good enough. I'm, I'm shameful. I feel guilty. I feel uh, unlovable. You know, I, I don't seek you like I should. I don't know. I just feel. And God says, God says to Adam, where are you? He says, I'm hiding. Why? Because I was naked and I felt ashamed. God looks at Adam and says, Adam, who told you that? God says to you today, who told you that? Who told you you were a shameful thing? Who told you that you should be holding on to the guilt for the decision you made years ago? Who told you that? Who told you? that you're not worthy of my love because I say something a little different. You see, in God's word, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says this, that we are God's workmanship. The New Living Translation uh, translates it as we are God's masterpiece, okay? But we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's a beautiful truth. 
Not something we have to become worthy of. God says, hey, while you were sinners, I sent Jesus, and you are my masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If I could, at all of our locations right now, if our bands could go ahead and come on up behind me, we're going to do a song here in just a second. But before we get to that, I want to tell you a story. Um, you know, if, if you look over here, there's this, this mug here. And, uh, you know, the intended purpose of this, of course, is to drink a beverage. The problem is right here, right? There's a crack. Runs the length of the mug. Therefore, it's useless. You should put this in the garbage unless, of course, you belong on the show Hoarders, right? <laughs> the intended purpose of this mug, it is no longer useful for. It's junk. It's garbage. Reminds me, about a month or so ago, I was on vacation in Estes Park, Colorado. Absolutely beautiful city right there at the foothills of the Rocky Mountain National Park. And we were walking down Main Street, and there's shops on either side. And I thought to myself, what better place to take four small children than into a glass shop, right? That's a perfect place to do this. So we, before we go in, of course, what do I do, parents? I call the huddle, right? Listen. I want your hands in your pockets and don't touch anything. That's right. So the kids go in, they're like this, you know, they're walking in, looking around. Well, this guy in the back was doing a glass blowing demonstration. And I thought, how cool is that? I've never seen anybody create anything out of glass before. That sounds fun. So I go back there and I start watching and we're, we're watching the guy do his thing. And sure enough, there he is. He's, uh, he's blowing this, this vase that day. So he had been putting it in the kiln and getting it really hot. And he, he had blown it and started to form it and he was twirling it. And as he did, it started to shape out into a vase. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. There comes a vase out of this liquid glass. This is cool. And we're watching and all of a sudden, you hear what no one wants to hear in a glass shop. You hear glass breaking, right? What do I do? First thing I do is get a head count on my four. I'm like, where are they? Okay, they're all good. Somebody else going to be paying for that broken thing. That's great. All right. And so then I realize it's the vase he's creating. And I thought, oh, my. How embarrassing. He's got all these people around. He's, they're all watching, and this thing shatters, right? Well, as a part of his process, he has it on this long pole, and he would sit this vase on uh, this desk, and he would roll it, and it would hang off the edge, and he would put his eye right down on it, and he would just watch it as he rolled, looking for any impurities in the way that it was formed. And he was rolling it back and forth, and he says, well, looks like we got about a four-inch crack in this vase. And he picks it up, and he's looking at it, and he's spinning it, and he says, you know, I thought I was making a vase today, but apparently this might become something a little bit different. He said, I think I see something a little different in this piece. And he takes it, and he puts it back into the kiln. And he begins to fire it, and he gets it molten hot again, and he pulls it out, and he sits it on the desk, and he takes these huge forged scissors, and he just begins to cut down into the heart of this vase. And I'm like, what is he doing? He's going to really ruin it now. And he's just like cutting this big portion of it. This huge piece just falls off and crashes on the floor. I'm like, he's out of control. What's he doing? You know? And he, he puts the scissors back. He takes the vase. He puts it back into the kiln. He heats it back up. He pulls it back out. 
And he begins to, to roll the, the rod in his hand, and he swings this thing at the same time. And he's going back and forth like this, and all of a sudden those molten edges of that, that bowl start kind of going like this. And they, they just start becoming wobbly. And then he takes it, and he pulls it up, and he sits it like this. And I'm telling you what, out of a broken vase comes this beautiful Chihuly-esque looking bowl. I'm like, are you kidding me? And that is the bowl that he pulled out of the kiln from a broken vase. Unbelievable. I was like, are you kidding? That's, that's, that's amazing. And, and he, unbelievable how he told us how this thing broke because of going from a hot fire to cooling, and it cooled too quickly, and it caused it to fracture. Well, isn't that true with us, right? You know, a lot of times, we're kind of like this. We're broken. But you see, I didn't create this. Therefore, it's, like we said earlier, it's just junk. But you take this, and you stick it into the hands of a creator, and all of a sudden, something beautiful starts to happen. All of a sudden, God starts saying, look, I know you're broken. I know that was a tough season. It was really hot. It was really hard. And I know it got really cold. And in, and in that stress of all that time, you broke. And, and you feel like your intended purpose is no more. But you know what? Ah, you're my masterpiece. You're created in Christ Jesus to do good works that I've prepared in advance for you to do. In fact, you know what? I don't think like you think. I don't love like you love. Isaiah 55 says that, you know what? God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways higher than our ways. And he says, I see something different. You know what? You see something broken. I see something beautiful. I see something I can utilize. I can create and transform and create a new purpose, a new meaning, a new creation, if you will, in Christ Jesus. What is it that God loves? Well, let me tell you. God loves to take broken, hurting people and make beautiful things 